Hey Israel Story listeners, it's Mishi. Yesterday was Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel's Independence Day, and our producer Mitch Ginsburg and I discussed the behind-the-scenes of our Signed, Sealed, Delivered project with Amanda borschel Dunn on the Times of Israel's The Daily Briefing. Now, I encourage you all to subscribe to that wonderful podcast. But in the meantime, we thought we'd share their episode here, too. So, hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back early next week with yet another installment of Signed, Sealed, Delivered. We'll be right back. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. This week, we released our 50th wartime diary. Next week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. Okay, we're back. Here is Amanda. Hello and welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, April 26th, Independence Day here in Israel. Amanda Borshel Dan here with the creator of Israel's Story, the podcast, Mishi Harman, and Mitch Ginsberg, who is now part of the Israel Story team and formerly of the Times of Israel. Hi, Mishi. Hi, Mitch. And Chag Sameach. 
Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Do you, either of you have any fun plans for today? Go for it, Mitch. Um, yeah, I have an annual get together with um, some of my closest friends, my old army buddies. We all get together, all the families, and eat a lot and drink a lot and <laughs> generally enjoy each other's company. Yofi, how about you, Missy? Uh, some nice uh, tiulim with the family. That's the best. And we, of course, are doing the traditional barbecue. <laughs> Listeners, we have a special program today in which we'll bring you snippets of Israel Story's massive project called Signed, Sealed, Delivered that aims to dissect the Declaration of Independence from every possible angle. We hear from the descendants of several of the signatories who have very mixed reactions of how Israel has turned out. But before we dive in, Mishi, remind our listeners what is Israel story? Sure. So um, first and foremost, we are part of the Times of Israel family um, and are very happy to be part of the Times of Israel family. Israel story was the first large uh, podcast in Israel. We started it 12 years ago uh, in Hebrew called Sipur Israeli. It was a national radio show here. And today it's the most listened to Israeli and Jewish podcast in the world. That's excellent. And Mitch has uh, joined you this year, which I'm so happy to see Mitch here in the studio, too. We, we, we won the draft, <laughs> the lottery draft. So uh, we're lucky to have Mitch on, on, on our team now. And, uh, and Mitch led this entire uh, new series, Sign Seal Delivered, together with Lev Cohen. And we'll talk about it uh, in this episode. Okay, so Mitch, you tell me, what prompted the idea? Oh, well, I'll give credit where credit is due. Mishy came in one morning and said, I have a great idea that I want to discuss. So it really, really was his brainchild. And I immediately loved the idea. I mean, for me, it was fascinating. I, I had a, it has been fascinating doing it. And I had that sense from the beginning, just being able to sort of touch Israeli history and get a sense both of who the people were at the very beginning, the people who put their signatures to the Declaration of Independence and you know who their descendants are what they look like what they think how similar are they to the signatories and we've discussed it together it's something that in america you simply couldn't do just because so much time has passed but here as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of israel we can still touch the very beginning the very like genesis of, of israeli history so for us it's been amazing and i'll just add to that that um about a year ago we started thinking about what we wanted to do for israel 75th uh and it's a really challenging task because israel story tries to remain apolitical and tries to stay out of a sort of partisan discourse about Israel. And it's it was sort of this situation of damned if you do and damned if, damned if you don't, right? Which is if we do something which doesn't relate in any way to what's going on in Israel, we're obviously experiencing very dramatic and tumultuous times here. We will sort of seem out of touch. And if we do things about it, then we, we sort of our mission kind of drifts a little bit. And we were trying to think um, how we could tackle this idea of Yom Atzmaut, uh, the 75th Yom Atzmaut. And the truth of the matter is that we had this idea of the signatories um, long before the elections and definitely long before the wave of demonstrations surrounding the judicial reform. And to our surprise, we're, we're very um, bad at predictions usually, but to our surprise, um, this project has just become more and more relevant um, as time went on because the Declaration of Independence has now uh, emerged to be completely central and is at the forefront, really, 
of the conversation about the future nature or desired future nature of Israel. And we had started interviewing people, um, as I said before this, um, and you know, as, as Mitch just mentioned, as a way to see what that group, that 37, uh, that group of 37 signatories, where they are today. So the last one, Meir Vilner, died about 20 years ago. But uh, out of the 37 signatories, uh, 14 still have children who are alive and the rest have grandchildren who are alive. And we wanted to see who who are these people? Do they resemble their ancestors? Do they not? Have they have they shifted? Have Do they represent Israeli society more or less? And the interesting thing about the initial group of the 37 signatories is that though there were no non-Jews who signed the uh, Declaration of Independence, um, and uh, most notably no Arabs who signed the Declaration of Independence, the group of signatories from afar um, seems like a pretty monolith group of um, you know, Labour Party, Poles, and, and Ukrainians, and, and Russian immigrants. But when you get close, it's a little bit like a pointillist painting. When you get close, you sort of start seeing uh, a more granule picture. And you see that they actually were quite representative of the population, of the Jewish population. So there were revisionists, and there were communists, and there were kibbutznikim, and moshavnikim, and city folk, and there were Haredim, and there were Tatim Leumim, and there were atheists. There were 35 out of the 37 were Ashkenazim, two were, uh, were Mizrahim, and 35 were men, and two were women. But if you take those uh, those two uh, elements out, you see that it actually is quite a varied group. And we wanted to see who they are, who that group became a generation and a half or two later. I'm so in awe of this huge, massive undertaking because uh, those who listen to the Daily Briefing know that we record it in the morning and it comes out a few hours later. But as you said, Mishi, you started conceiving of this a year ago. So Mitch, can you tell us a little bit about how the project was actually undertaken? Sure. So the first order of business was finding out a bit about the signatories themselves and then who their descendants are and... It was actually really fun journalistic work, tracking them down, finding the names, whether it be, you know, some of them have social media presence, some of them don't, some of them are listed on their landlines because they still have a landline of 144, some of them aren't, um, some of them live in Israel, some of them don't. So it, it was a lot of work like that. We split the 37 signatories into groups and we each tried to make contact with them. And then once we were able to establish contact, sometimes we called people and it was funny because they have the same name, but they're not related or all sorts of things like that. Um, but in the end, we we then went, generally speaking, we went to their home. Sometimes they came here to the studio, which was wonderful. And other times we went to see where they live and we visited them and we spoke with them oftentimes at length and always including like a set of about 20 questions that we asked them all, but didn't restrict ourselves just to those questions. And we, I should say that that we set out, we set clear parameters for the project. So we said that we were going to look for the closest living relative. So wherever possible, we wanted to speak to a son or a daughter, um, or um, you know, we preferred many of the de- de- of the signers of the Declaration of Independence have many um, uh, descendants, especially the Haredim, but not only. Um, and we always preferred to uh, talk to, so so we had 
certain signatories um, for whom we had many, many options of people we could talk to. And we always tried to talk to people who knew them, who um, who had um, experiences themselves, you know, firsthand experiences with them. And it's difficult because on the one hand, 75 years is not that long. On the other hand, there are people who have been dead for 70 years uh, or more. Um, but still, we did try to, and I think almost all of the 37 um, uh, people who we are featuring in this uh, series um, did have uh, first-person experiences and, and interactions with the signatories. Maybe there's a couple who, who didn't, uh, of signatories who died in the early 50s and people aren't alive anymore. But um, But we always tried to prefer people who could talk and tell us, these stories of what it was like for the first finance minister of Israel, Eliezer Kaplan, who didn't like raisins to take the raisins out of the challah and give it to his granddaughter, or, um, you know, all these little anecdotes that that bring these people um, out of the history books and into life. The last thing I want to talk about before we start hearing some clips is the music. The soundtrack in all of your episodes in Israel Story is just brilliant always. But in these, it feels like you've placed even more emphasis on the musical aspect. Who wants to talk about that? I want to say that that comment is music to my ears. <laughs> I can't believe you noticed. I'm excited that you did. Um, yeah, we we do. We we discuss it uh, at length. And we we have a couple of people who have also been helping us. Um, one person we refer to as DJ Yoni Turner, who's like a a friend of, of both mine and Mishy's, um, who happens not to be a DJ and is a doctor, but is very knowledgeable about music, Hebrew music. And so we ask him, and and, and Tomer uh, Kariv also has been advising us on music, and he'll listen to the episode and put forth a few suggestions, and then we'll bat them around and discuss and try and find a song that dovetails with the episode or reflects it in, in a way that's that's interesting and compelling and hopefully even to people who listen in English, they'll enjoy the Hebrew song. And I think that's a really important point because it was we we wanted to make sure that this uh, what didn't end up being a um, a very very long project of people being in favor or not in favor of the judicial reform and of Bibi. So in going into these interviews, we did try to think about what angle that particular signatory and their descendants could talk about. So if it's you know. Rachel Cohen Kagan, who was one of only two women who signed the Declaration of Independence and was really the sort of most ardent feminist and 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 uh, representative of women's rights, we wanted to make sure that that was the aspect that sort of came through during in in the episode that we did about her, or if it's uh, about uh, the breakdown of the kibbutz movement, or it's about um, Israel shifting from a uh, largely um, you know socialist welfare state to a cap- hyper capitalist state. In an episode that we're releasing uh, next week about um, the aliyot of uh, of Mizrahim, and uh, so the, it's an episode um, with the uh, with the Yemenite uh, signatory of the Declaration of Independence. Um, so in each time we in in each episode we tried to think about new angles that won't just replicate um, the discourse, and the music is a big part of that. Okay, so let's start with the episode examining David Ben-Gurion. Now, listeners, uh, this is a good time to state that some of these snippets have, uh, shall we say, adult language and definitely strong statements about certain segments of Israeli society. So keep that in mind as you continue to listen. Who are we hearing speaking in this clip? Who is this person? 
So the person we're hearing is Dr. Uh, Yariv Ben-Eliezer, who is um, uh, Ben-Gurion's eldest grandson, and he's the grandson uh, that Ben-Gurion was closest to. And in fact, probably the family member that Ben-Gurion was closest to in the 50s, Ben-Gurion used to pen these um, anonymous op-eds in Davar. And since he was prime minister and didn't want to be signing the op-eds as David Ben-Gurion, he, uh, he used to sign these op-eds, Saba Shil Yariv, and this is Yariv. Um, and uh, he's a, a professor of communications. He himself is now in his 80s. Um, and as you'll hear, he's a, um, he has a lot of very strong opinions about, uh, about Israel and about the direction in which we're going. Let's hear it now. He was very realistic. He had vision. He was like a prophet in this case. I remember very well the last chapter. He wrote it, not just signed it. It says, Israel will take care of equality between people based on age, gender, ethnicity, nationality. You see, he believed that Israel would be an example to the other nations. And the people of Israel will be what he called Amzgula. And this is not. Israel became now a state of apartheid. It was a vision that went down the drain. This is not the dream of the beginners of Israel, and it was not the dream of my grandfather. It's a nightmare. Half of the people will go to the army, and half of the people will study Torah. Fuck! I don't want it. I have grandchildren. They're going to the army, fight for what? For the Hasidic who is sitting, masturbating and getting money for my taxes? This is not the people I want to live with. When I see what's happening in Israel, I'm so proud of my grandfather and sad for him. I'm glad that he didn't see that troubled country now. I'm glad that he can't see that. He would have killed him. I almost left this clip till the end because it is so depressing. Did you find it depressing, Mitch? It's a good question. Uh, that wasn't how I experienced it. I found it extremely provocative. I found it interesting in terms of who he is and how, what kind of strong emotions he has. And I found it shocking, I guess, in many ways, but it didn't leave me feeling depressed. I'll just add to that that I think that these are not opinions that we don't hear. These are opinions that are that are very much present in the discourse in Israel and about Israel. I think the unique element here is that we're hearing it from Ben-Gurion's grandson. And then one can ask, is that actually uh, meaningful? I mean, he is also, yes, it is true that he is Ben-Gurion's grandson, but he is also just another voice within the Israeli society. We did receive a lot of shocked and 
angry comments about um, about that. I mean, there are two separate things here. One is that the, he, to a certain extent, he's a little bit vulgar, but but um, but the sort of more meaningful thing is that he um, you know he he thinks that uh, we have lost our way, and um, it's it's interesting to think about whether that's an opinion that his grandfather would have shared. And I think it's a troubling thought for sure, because we sort of have this expectation of especially Ben-Gurion, who of all the signatories of the Declaration of Independence, um, and as we say at the uh, outset of the episode about him, is you know the most famous and, and, and well-known Jew since Moses <laughs> or something like that. You sort of expect to hear a different kind of take on, on, on Israel. Um, but I found it quite refreshing, to be honest. What we really, really tried to do is just take the essence of what they said and and present it in the most honest way possible. So, if if when we spoke with, say, and this is you know, you haven't heard this yet, but let's say the head of the Agudat Israel party at the time, who was the senior Haredi representative who signed the Declaration of Independence, he feels that the study of Torah is the sim- single most important thing in the to the country's well-being. And there are those who certainly disagree, but it was important for us to present that because that is his truth. And so it was the same thing for for Ben-Gurion. I know it's very provocative, some of the things he says, but what we try to do is just present it in a way that best reflects who he is as Ben-Gurion's oldest grandson. The next and final clip we'll hear is about uh, Zerach or Zorach Wahaftig from his son Emmanuel. Uh, during World War II, he very famously helped save thousands of Jews from the Holocaust. He was the longtime leader of the National Religious Party and longtime minister of religious affairs who set the policy on many matters that we're still uh, dealing with today. So let's hear what his son Emmanuel has to say. My father saw the Declaration of Independence as the closing of a circle which started with saving the Jews in 1940. There, my father saved the Jews from the physical point of view. In in 1948, my father gave them the spiritual future, the way how to live and be part of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. To sign it was a very exciting, thrilling thing because my father for many nights was dreaming how he will write his signature on the Declaration of Independence. I can translate to you what my father told about that moment. I signed with a firm hand, a beating heart, beating from joy. I think that we can uh, look at the Declaration of Independence as a very important text fulfilled in a big part. We started with 650,000 Jews in 1948, and now we are more than 8 million Jews. I think that that is the most important source of joy for my father. And of course, the strength of the religious community, the Limut Torah, the Yeshivot, the Ulpanod, and all this also is a source of pride. Now, Mishi, in other parts of the episode, Emmanuel says that his father would have basically supported the judicial overhaul and today's government. Did that surprise you at all? 
No, uh, it did not surprise me. Um, there are many people in Israel who support the judicial reform, and it's not surprising that the descendants of the Declaration of Independence, um, some of them also do. Um, as I said at the beginning, there were there were um, not only um, religious uh, signatories, but also right-wing signatories, revisionists, um, uh, it was important to Ben Gurion that the uh, that Moetzet Ta'am, the uh, sort of pre-state um, legislator that uh, that uh, whose members are the ones who signed the Declaration of Independence, also really represent the the population. Um, so obviously it was skewed, and obviously it wasn't it, it wasn't a, a full representation, but. Uh, but there were there were right wingers and there were religious folks and also there are people um, whose uh, opinions don't match up to their ancestors' opinions today. Um, what is interesting is that we saw that while there are um, there are sort of outliers um, on the edges um, from people who talk about Israel as a Judeo-Nazi uh, country, Yariv Ben Eliezer actually isn't the most uh, the most uh, radical uh, voice um, that we are, uh, that we feature in this series. So, from people talking about Israel as a Judeo-Nazi country, all the way to people saying that uh, democracy is not a Jewish value and they don't understand why we even strive to talk about Israel as a Jewish and democratic state, um, but. It is interesting, and this is something that we discuss a lot in our editorial meetings, it is interesting to see that the vast majority of the people that we're talking to, um, and we've talked to something on the order of 50, uh, 50 descendants, because some people, some of the signatories, we, we interviewed multiple descendants. Um, it is interesting that the vast majority are within what we would call the Israeli center and center-left, I would say sort of from... Uh, Meretz to Gantz, uh, more or less politically, we are seeing very few. Um, while there are a lot of right wingers, we're seeing very few uh, bibistim, as as they're called. And in ways, in some ways, that's surprising to me. In other ways, it's not surprising given who the initial group of uh, of signers was. But uh, but it doesn't surprise me that there are people who who support the judicial reform, and it was also important for us to juxtapose those opinions. So, for example, uh, the Verhaftig episode came right after the Ben Gurion episode because we did want to show that there is quite a interesting variation. Mitch, did anything surprise you coming out from the interviews that were done for this series? I was surprised every time. There were everybody had. It was just wonderful for me sometimes just hear like the little anecdotes and the little stories that kind of make the history come alive. Because I've heard Ben-Gurion declaring Israel's independence, you know, on May 14, 1948, many times. But to know that, for instance, um, Nahum Nir, who was one of the signatories, was waylaid along with the future cabinet secretary on the way to the signing in the afternoon of Friday by a police officer and had to talk his way out of a ticket by saying that he's holding the the little piece of parchment that's going to be signed and that the police officer ought to let him go or hearing from one of the revisionists that um, uh, Herzl uh, Rosenblum was his name that at the last second, Ben-Gurion came over to him and said sharply in his ear, you sign it, Vardy, 
because he wanted more Hebrew names or I don't know if there were other reasons as well, maybe a bit of a, an agenda against uh, his own ideology, but but that the man said he was overcome at the moment and he regretted it later for most of his days that he'd signed a name that nobody knows him by. And so for years, nobody knew who this Vardy was on the on the piece of parchment. Another real treat that we um, that we experienced uh, while working on this is that we got to actually see the Declaration of Independence, uh, Mitch and I. Um, uh, though its image is so iconic and is in every classroom and in every governmental office and now, you know, on the in Kibbutzim and on the municipality building of Tel Aviv and there's replicas everywhere and I think actually it was um, even added to the Haaretz newspaper uh, this weekend as a supplement so I mean it's really it's really all over the place and, and completely ubiquitous but uh, but the declaration itself is uh, is very very strictly guarded and is something that very few people get to see and Mitch uh, and Lev um basically badgered the uh the Israel State Archives for several months till we uh got um got uh to see the declaration and it was quite an experience uh um you know we sat in the room with the declaration and with the head uh, archivist uh um for a couple of hours talking about it and looking at it and uh it's interesting to 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 sort of see the physical artifact itself um they even left me and Michi in the room alone with it. We got to cart it from room to room when it needed to be moved. It's kept in a special case that the Israel Museum had built for the Megillah for its preservation, and it's and it is housed in a uh, in the sort of building that you really wouldn't imagine is the building in which the Israeli Declaration of Independence is kept. It's sort of like a nondescript industrial building at the far edges of Talpiot. And there's something kind of interesting and symbolic about the fact that it's both uh, within plain sight and completely hidden from the public, because there's something about the nature and about the text of the Declaration, which is also that way. So one of the projects that we did as part of this uh, Science Seal Delivered uh, series is that we went out to the street and asked people where they think the idea of a Jewish and democratic state comes from. And most people, more than 90%, think that that idea comes from the Declaration of Independence. And yet, of course, the word democracy is not mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Mishi, Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. This is really a History Nerd's greatest dream, this series, and I look forward to listening to future episodes. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Amanda. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. My father, I really saw him very little because he was imprisoned by the British, what they called Jewish terrorists. And my father signed this declaration. Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence. To sign it was a very exciting thing. I am the grandson of the person who signed tenth in the Megillat Uh John Hancock on the Israeli Declaration of Independence in terms of size is Ben-Gurion's. But my grandfather's is the one that stands out most. My grandfather didn't marry women. Women married my grandfather. When I was coming home from school, he was there for me. We had five o'clock tea. When I played with my friends in the yard on Shabbos, I remember my father calling me to come up and study with him the Gemara, the Talmud. He had a beautiful tenor voice. He sang beautifully. He, Medina, Israel. 
My father looked at all our homework. He always looked at everything we did. We brought two eggs back with him from the signing. And she said, this is the best thing that came out of the declaration. <laughs> you can see the roots of the fascism we are living today in this document. But I think he would have been very proud of the democratic character of Israel. My father thought that we will have to give back Judea and Samaria. But we were one of the early settlers. He never thought it would be in a situation like this. The religious people try to force their religion. We are dealing in lies. My father will be proud that Israel is Israel. I don't know if he would have been so happy with them. No, I don't think so. Our democracy is in trouble. Now that there is a right-wing government, I'm very happy. And if he was here, he will be ashamed. He would have been annoyed by the fact that in his neighborhood, Rehavia, there are so many Haredi Jews. The choice will be between losing the Jewish majority. The danger right now is very great. The country is beautiful. Or justifying the accusations that we're an apartheid state. The people of Israel are shit. I'm sorry that I fought for a country that is not what he wanted. There is, um, I think, a self-hatred. Israel became now the state of apartheid. This is our country, and we have the right to be here like any other people in the world. My father is very happy to see the religious aspects of Israel today. It was a vision that went down the drain. Israel Story's new series, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, is coming your way. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.